Blog Talk Radio. Sunday, November 8th, and you're tuned in to the latest edition of Cinnamon Noir. This is Kimberly Renee, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Rebecca and Candace. Happy Sunday, ladies. Happy, Happy Sunday. Sunday. All right. We have a great show planned for you today. Um, first, we're going to be we're going to give our review of Master of None, the latest show on Netflix um, produced by Aziz Ansari. Um, we're also going to be talking about the Chirac, um trailer that came out this week that had everyone on Twitter chiming in their opinion about it. Um, in addition to our news, we're also going to be talking about um, The Walking Dead and the great is he or isn't he discussion that's going on with one of our beloved characters. And then finally, we're going to talk about the 2015 Glad TV report where they kind of give an update on the state of LGBTQ diversity on the small screen. Um, but to get us started, we're going to be talking about um, The Master of One. And I know, Rebecca, you and Candace both saw the show on Netflix. So what did you think? Uh, Rebecca? I think anybody, if you if you follow me on Twitter, I have been raving about this show. Um, I knew I knew that Master of None was was coming out. I, I had seen the promos, and I'm a big fan of Aziz Ansari. Um, I first um, watched him on um, um, what was it, uh, Parks and Recreation, and then I I loved his um, stand up specials. So I was really looking forward to it. And then um, our friend of Cinema Noir, Matthew Cherry. I think he started watching it like on Friday when it dropped on Netflix, and his his timeline was just lit with Master of None. So I was like, you know what? And then I saw other people on my timeline talking about it, and I was like, you know what? I need to get into the show because I was like, I'll watch it, you know, later and stuff. But I have to. I was just so blown away by how excellent this show is. I mean, I knew Aziz was funny, and he has a new book out. I forget what his um what the title of the book is, but Modern it's romance. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And so it's basically about, you know, relationships and, um, you know, uh, romantic um, connections in the 21st century. Um, but, yeah, I think what what was so beautiful to me about um, Master of None is that I don't even think I can use the word sitcom for this show. I feel like sitcom is just too limiting for what Master of None is. It's really life, and it shows the humor, and it's, it shows the sadness and it shows the beauty. It it's just so there's such a generosity of of humanity in this show, and I just really was not prepared for that um, because it, he deals with so many different issues. Um, he basically plays um, this Indian American actor named Dev. Um, you know, he's trying to get his career on the rise, and you know, a lot of the show deals with the challenges of him being an Indian American and not having access to the roles that 
you know, he would like to have, which I'm sure is based on a lot of um, things that um, Aziz has faced himself. But I think what I loved about it, too, is that, you know, it deals with his personal relationships. He has his circle of friends, and I love each and every one of them. Um, mm-hmm. if, you, you'll, uh, if you keep your eyes open, you'll uh, realize that one of his posse is um, Lena Waite, who is this amazing producer. She produced Dear White People. Um, she also co-created the web series um, Hello Cupid for Black and Sexy mm-hmm. Television. She plays Denise. Um, who is um, his lesbian best friend and kind of gives him, like, all this great advice and hilarious um, relationship advice. But um, I think what I love about the show is that it it deals with his personal issues. It also deals with, this in the second episode, it talks about him, the experience of him being a first-generation American, right? So he and his best friend, um, who is played by Kelvin Yu, um, his name is Brian. So Brian, I think, I believe his family is from Korea. I, I forget which country. Taiwan. Um, Taiwan. Taiwan. Thank you. And so um, the thing is, you know, Dev and and Brian have the have this connection of being first American, uh, first generation American. Um, you know, men in America who are trying to, you know, pursue their dreams. And the second episode starts with flashbacks of their parents, of their fathers in their respective countries, you know, and the fact that they came to this country to make their lives better for their sons. And I was just sitting there like, this is my life. Like, I think mm-hmm. anybody who is first-generation American can so relate to that. And there's just so many great episodes. I really love the episode um, where uh, he deals with uh, the sexism, the everyday sexism that women face, um, mm-hmm. you know, the way that they get cat called on the street, um, the mm-hmm. way that just follow them and harass them, um, mm-hmm. and the way that he deals with that because his girlfriend and, you know, his best friend Denise really opened his eyes to the fact that women have to deal with these things every day. And more importantly, what I loved about that episode, you know, the lesson really was that when women say something, believe them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if women are being harassed or if women are saying that these these are the experiences that they're having um, being women in the world, you know, the, the, the immediate knee-jerk reaction from most men is to defend the man and not defend the woman, you know. So there's just so many, like, there's just so many things that are going on in um, Master of None that I think anybody, whether you're man, woman, whatever race, whatever gender, whatever sexual persuasion, there's something in this show for you. There is something that you will find in there. And just, I mean, I, there were a couple episodes that I actually cried because the honesty was just so mind-blowing. But I think Aziz Ansari, to me, has really given us something so special I don't know if the networks would have picked that show up, seeing as the lead actor is an Indian American who's not mm-hmm. in any type of stereotypes, and there's an episode that deals with that brilliantly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I love, too, is that um, Master of None is really a, a excellent case study of how you can have a diverse, and I'm not even going to use the word diverse, but how you can be inclusive without having any political agendas. Like, to me, I felt like watching Masters of None, that is the New York that I know. That is the New York that I recognize, not that bullshit that Girls is putting out, not the bullshit that Hollywood puts out, you know, with their other versions of New York. Like, to me, Master of None is the most, to me, authentic, uh, one of the most authentic presentation representations of, of the New York that I know and love, and I'm just so proud of that. 
and I can't wait to get back to New York now. <laughs> Imagine this show makes me so badly. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm New York now. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just, just a standing ovation to Aziz Asari. The cast is excellent. The writing is excellent. The music is a, another, I don't know who the music director for mm-hmm. Master of Business. It's just a gorgeous piece of work, and I just would just encourage anybody if you if you do have Netflix, if your friends don't have Netflix, b- let them borrow your password. Like you have to watch this show. Like you have to watch the show. It is so excellent. And I, I if I ever saw these, I would just give them a big fat kiss on the mouth because we really needed a show. <laughs> really good. Wow. Yeah. Um, no, go ahead, Candace. No, go ahead. No, um, pretty much echo all of what Rebecca had said. I think one of the things that I feel like I talk about, um, I write about often on my blog, too, I think there's a way to just tell a story that's inclusive without pushing a, a, an ex- a, a particularly striking political, politically correct agenda, which I think a lot of movies today skew closer to um, having, skew more closer to to being politically correct than being of quality. And I would consider something like, and I'm not even, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this movie, but it's fresh in my head, but Tangerine, I really did not like that movie. But that's, mm. a perfect, that's a perfect example of what I'm saying, essentially just something that is just just has a political correct agenda but has no actual quality, and I will continue to say that about Tangerine. But getting back to Master of None, it's so, you know, just like Rebecca said, so inclusive. And I have been talking about a season sorry for years, <laughs> and I feel like, Finally, other people are now, too. So that is just comforting to know that you're not crazy. You're not out here liking somebody by yourself. He's actually very, he's a very witty person, but also very smart business person, comedian. And mm-hmm. his, and, and what's interesting is I, I, I read Modern Romance, um, which is good, and mm-hmm. I've seen all his stand stand-up specials, and he is the, he is a thief in every single medium that he approaches, every single one, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and which is really comforting. It's just his style. He he basically, just like most great comedians, he um, reflects on the world as he sees it from his perspective, and mm-hmm. it just so happens that his perspective also is very relatable to my own perspective. And what I also love is the intricacies about discrimination um, with women, um, mm-hmm. with uh, Indian American um, actors or Indian American people in America. He talks about all of that, and he even points out his own flaws, like, oh, like his girlfriend says, you didn't realize how incredibly sexist this move was in one in one episode, and he's like, they had like this big argument, and then he's just like, oh, you know, yeah, actually – now that you brought it up, he realizes it. But he is—he has been kind of the exception, especially on the small screen when we're talking about identifying sexism. A man, a male character identifying sexism is just not something that we see very often in on the small screen or the big screen. And you certainly don't see that man admitting 
that he was wrong about something, and that's something that he constantly is is learning and still shaping in 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 the series, which I feel like is a, is really an extension of his own personal character. I mean, his own um, person as as his, the character's name is Dev, and he's um, obviously a thief. So I think that Dev is really an extension of a thief, as um, uh, Rebecca pointed out, and. Mm-hmm. What else can I say? Um, I love, there was a, I mean, I love every single episode. I'm still, um, I still have like 10 more minutes left of the last episode. But mm. there was the Indians on TV episode, I think it's called. Yes. 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 So he talks about something that's really interesting where he's just like, you know, where do Indian actors or Indian American actors or people go to when they need like this uprising like like you know black people have uh Al Sharpton or Beyonce or Oprah or you know white white <laughs> women have these people they have like these emblems of, of basically their spokespeople but Indian Americans don't don't have anyone in America or so or, or no one of that that profile and that's something that's I've I've said before. That's something that is really needed to be discussed. And he really fleshes that out in this in this episode, where it's just like, okay, who do we go to? Do we just have to become our own advocate? Which essentially is what he asked to do in this episode. But mm-hmm. it was just really interesting to finally have this perspective that has been omitted on any screen for all these years and. And I wish something like this would be on TV, or or I think it would go on TV before it would ever go on the big screen. But the fact mm-hmm. is that there are way too many minority characters here in in lead substantial roles, which means Hollywood ain't paying any of that any attention um, mm-hmm. because it's just you know it's too minority. But he really highlights you know we talk about often oh you know, what other minorities have to face, what being what black people and, and black actors have to face in Hollywood, but this is a really much this is another interesting um layer to that story that's told in the perspective of the Indian American actor, uh, and character. So I love all the characters on the show. Um I um I'm interested I, I re I, I really love his relationship with his girlfriend also. Um, yeah, I think is also mirrored after his own uh, actual relationship in real life. But mm. um, yeah, I, I, you know, particularly all the women are really great characters on this show. Um, shout yeah. out to Danielle Brooks and Condola Rashad, who also featured on the show. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, there, there's some. I, I just, yeah, I just love it. I, I'm very, very much impressed, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, a. Yeah. I think the one, the one c- complaint that I have seen, and and I totally understand it. There were people who watched Master of None, and you know they wrote back to me and they were like, "Why are all of his love interests white women?" And I was like, mm-hmm. "So people were like, you know, someone actually tweeted um, to me. They were like, um, are is Aziz Ansari will Master of None, um." you know, be under scrutiny the same way the Mindy Project is because Mindy Kaling, mm-hmm. all of Mindy Kaling's love interests on the show were white men. So, yeah, I mean, that is that was the one thing that I picked up on. I was like, okay. Um, 
Yeah. That being said, I, I, Noelle Well, the the actress who played his girlfriend, they had such amazing chemistry together. Mm-hmm. I'm just enthralled by them, and so, but but it is a valid criticism. It is a valid, um, you know, a, a subject that will definitely have to be discussed. Um, but like you said, Candace, I mean, if it's based on his real life relationship, um, and if his ex girlfriends were white, I mean, then that's mm-hmm. something. That you know, like if I saw a think piece criticizing it, I definitely wouldn't be offended by it. But I mean, yeah, that I think mm-hmm. that's the one. If you had to nitpick the show, I, I don't want to use the word nitpick. If there was one criticism I would have the show it would be that he there really wasn't a diversity of his love interest as far as the women he were he was interested in. Um, mm-hmm. But again, maybe that's maybe that's a bigger commentary, right? That maybe can be discussed hopefully if it gets season two like why is it only white women are white women the only women that feel that he's attractive or black women not mm-hmm. like i'm just curious like i I'm, mm-hmm. I, I have questions but yeah other than that you know everything was just aces with that show it, it, it was just so amazing and i was like oh yeah and now yeah. i understand why we need netflix and why we need you know the web because we need to have these alternative avenues of entertainment you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, because I don't know if NBC would pick that show up. They'd be like, there's too many brown people on this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? No, absolutely right. not. Absolutely not. Well, yeah, because the, the only white guy is, like, his friend. Um, oh, what was his friend's name? Was it Noah? He was a really tall dude um, yeah, with the beard. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. you know, that's fine. It doesn't need to be for NBC because maybe if it was on a network, they would have watered that show down. Exactly. And I don't even know what, what what kind of NBC version of Master of None would be produced. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see that. <laughs> no. mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. true. I mean, I it's, it's, so I'm glad you brought that up about the love interest. Um, and and there's only really been one. Oh no, one love interest like consistent. And mm-hmm. there was another woman who was a wackadoodle who he dated like way early on. <laughs> like, so we, like she was a straight a wackadoodle. Nut. Love it. <laughs> that's my that's my mom's word. You can just blame Tracy for that one. <laughs> but but this but this woman was truly out of her mind. But that's yeah. the only other person he dated. But yeah, I that definitely came across my mind. And the same exact question here across my mind. I'm like, will he be scrutinized um, like Mindy was? And I. Uh-huh. Here's my thing, and I and I will continue to say this with <laughs> with the Mindy project. This is my one thing I will say. I uh-huh. Mindy did not have any friends of color, no people of color, no nothing of color. So that was my thing. Hmm. I, if you have a type, if you just want to date white men, fine. But you fine. have you also have no friends who are of color either. <laughs> he has. He actually has. A, he has very, you know, wide, you know, variety of friends of various persuasions, <laughs> of genders, of races, and so it's, it's. I feel like he's he's at least um, incorporating other races into his life. Mm-hmm. So that argument to me is weak. I mean, I definitely it definitely came across my mind. I'm sure the idea of him strictly dating white women or a white woman, really, we're only mm-hmm. one woman on this, um, right? Is is go is, is definitely a valid question. I had the exact same question. Um, I've been fascinated by that the entire series, but to relate that to me to what happened on or 
yeah, what happened on the mini project. I don't think that's valid. I don't think that's the same thing. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good. I mean, that's an interesting point. Yeah, because I've been watching the new season of of Mindy on Hulu, and the only woman of color on the show is um, Tamara. That she's the the black nurse or nurse's assistant on the show. Mm-hmm. I can't really see that she and Mindy are friends. She works right. for Mindy. They've they've mm-hmm. had seats together, but she's not the go-to person that Mindy calls when she has problems. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know how Mindy feels about beleaguered folk, beleaguered folk so. True, Anywho, true. Um, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's not what she's here for. <laughs> that is like the one thing I will ever, ever remember about her. <laughs> Anywho, um, you know, I've only seen the first two, one and a half episodes of Master of None, and I really enjoyed it as well. I'm looking forward to finishing it. Um, I love the, the first episode where he, you know, um, gets to spend time with his friend's kids, and then he's like, oh, you know, this might be great, and he has this little fantasy about what it would be like, and then, you know, he spends some more time with the kids, and it's like, you know what, this is not all that it's cracked mm-hmm. to be. And I think that's just so real for anyone mm-hmm. in their, like, 20s or 30s or who doesn't have kids or who's single. It's like, you know, sometimes you see these things, and it's like, oh, that's the perfect thing. I want one, and then it's like, oh, no. <laughs> What if I want to go out for food at midnight? I can't go out without having a babysitter, and it's like the worst thing ever. But I do like mm-hmm. his, his um, like you said, that kind of observational comedy that he mm-hmm. has going on, so I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. And I know I was watching something else, and they said that, you know, someone else who had a network, a show on Netflix, you know, they never discussed the numbers with them, so they don't know how, like, how many people watch the show, how many people download it. So I hope that, you know, this social media push that he's got this weekend, because everyone has been tweeting about it, you know, gets it at least a second season, so we can kind of develop it even further to see how it turns out. So I'm excited about mm-hmm. it, though. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and then when we get back, we'll be talking about the Chirac trailer. We are back. 
um, that was Treat Me Like Fire from one of my favorite groups, Lion Babe. Um, let's see. Up next, we are talking about the Chirac trailer that dropped this week. Um, when it dropped, I know people on Twitter were going off. <laughs> some people loved it. Some people hated it. So, um, Candace, tell us what you thought about the trailer. Oh, uh, I didn't like it. <laughs> I, I wasn't really prepared to respond first. So, uh, yeah, um, yes, I did not like it at all. Um, oh, gosh. Such a, a sigh inducing trailer. I really like Spike Lee's old film. <laughs> I don't know what exactly is going on lately. I um, I couldn't even get through what was it called? The Sweet of Blood, the whatever the hell I don't even know. That that movie I couldn't even get through it. Um, and y'all know how I feel about Red Hook Summer. This one I'm hoping is better. Um, but that trailer was really messy to me. I'm, I don't know what's going on. There's just a bunch of people here, and I don't know what anyone's talking about. Um, I know it's inspired by Greek tragedy, whatever, 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 or Greek comedy, rather. Cool. Um, but I just need it to resonate a little bit more. And it's, it's so interesting when I'm reading other people's, like, interpretations of the trail, I'm like, oh, that's what you thought? That's not what <laughs> is in there, but okay, cool. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not, I'm very unexcited about it. Yeah, you know, it kind of reminded me of She Hate Me, where it was, like, one movie was, like, 32 different storylines. <laughs> and so that trailer was, like, 32 different storylines for this one movie that's coming out. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I like exactly. She Hate Me. Um, you know, I like She Hate Me. I'm one of the few people that liked it. So I feel like there's hope for it. <laughs> but, yeah, mm. it was a bit, you know, kind of scattered. It was a lot. of like, is this satire? Is this serious? Is this a comedy? Is this a drama? Maybe it's all of it. Mm-hmm. I don't quite know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what did you think, Rebecca? Um, hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, I know we have been waiting for um, the movie to come out. Here's the thing: it's like the minute that the movie was announced, it was or this movie was already steeped in controversy just by the very nature of him calling the movie Chirac, right? So there are people who feel very strongly, you know, on both sides of the fence on, on him using that term. Um, they feel that, you know, particularly with a lot of people who are from Chicago or who live in Chicago, um, they feel that the term is derogatory. And um, I'm, I'm, as far as the, the controversy is concerned, I am in the middle. I see both arguments, and I understand both arguments, and I agree with both arguments. I, the other side of the argument is that people are like, well, this is, you know, based on Lysistrata, the famous Greek play, and that, you know, this is not the first time that – Spike Lee has um, addressed serious issues with satire or with comedy. He's done it, you know, with um, his uh, with, with previous movies like School Days. So they feel like, you know, we should at least see the movie, and you know, we can give our you know our final judgment on it. So I totally get it. There are people who feel that this movie should not be seen at all and should not be supported at all. I personally just want to see the movie so I can make my own decision, um, so I can figure out if this movie is good or not. The, the, the one thing that I will say about 
the movie. Much like you, Candace, I really wasn't blown away by the by the trailer. I was sort of like, oh, okay. Um, that said, what I was happy to see in this movie was the fact that, um, particularly because we're talking about the subject of inner city violence, right? Um, you know, usually when we have these types of movies like, you know, Boys in the Hood or Menace to Society or, you know, any of those kind of movies in that genre, black women usually fall in either one of three tropes, right? They're either the fast-tailed hussy, and I put this in air quotes, right? They're either the fast-tailed hoochie mama gold digger, right? Two, they're either, um, you know, the grieving mother, um well, yeah, those are the two tropes, right? The hoochie mommy, the baby mama, or the grieving mother. And we never really get to see. The stories are always usually told from the men's point of view, and the only time you ever see us are, is at the funeral, throwing ourselves over the coffin, or, you know what I mean, like those big dramatic scenes, and you never really see these women again. So I do like the fact, again, haven't seen the movie, but just based on the trailer, I do like the idea that we are finally going to get to see how this violence affects women, right, and how they're going to deal with it, um, you know, and, and, and how they're going to take action to be able to, you know, um, to take action against the violence in their communities. So I I am going to try to keep an open mind. <laughs> I'm going to go see this movie. And hopefully, you know, there will be some good acting, there will be some good commentary, and hopefully maybe, um, you know, Spike Lee can acquit himself of all of these, um, you know, of all these criticisms and all these attacks. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just hoping for Spike Lee's sake that this movie is good because if it's not, mm-hmm. <laughs> he might have to be careful. Like, you really have to be careful when you're dealing with a subject like this. People are very sensitive about things like that. I'm not from Chicago. To be honest with you, I've heard the term Chirac. I don't, I, I've heard of it. I don't, understand the gen I, I don't I'm not familiar with the genesis of the word, how it came to be, how people feel about it. Um, you know, but I'm just gonna just take the lead of people who are from Chicago. If you tell me that the term is derogatory, then I'll have to believe that it is. Again, other people don't feel it is, but I just feel that people need to be able to have the space and artists have to be able to have the space to um you know, to deal with these sort of things because I'm I'm not really a fan of censorship. That's that's not mm-hmm. I'm not about that. Um, that being said, um, I am a little um, salty with these think pieces that are policing people, telling people that they should not be offended by this movie. Um, no, that's not your business to tell people how they should or shouldn't feel about a trailer mm-hmm. because we, we we judge movies on trailers all the time. Just a couple mm-hmm. of months ago. We dragged, um, what was that, Stonewall? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what the trailer is for. Again, a trailer mm-hmm. is, is a piece of marketing, so you can't mm-hmm. tell people that they shouldn't judge a movie based on the trailer. Of course mm-hmm. they have the right to do that. That's what Absolutely. it's supposed to be there. It's, supposed, it's, it's created so that you can judge it, so that you can <laughs> hopefully get excited about it. If not, it'll work right. the other way. There you but, go. Yeah. There you go. I yeah. mean, I... It's interesting. Again, this goes back to what. So, I, I, again, I, I'm not, I'm not from Chicago, and I, I don't really I, like you. I didn't really understand the genesis of, of the word. And um, it's interesting that that is what people are focusing on, not the actual trailer. Um, this is again, this isn't even judging a movie by the trailer. This is judging the trailer by the title. So we're going, we're getting real meta at this moment. 
So, but um, it's interesting. I mean, you know, if that's what it is, that's what it is. Um, I because it, 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 I love school days. I think it's what I think it's probably my second or probably yeah my second favorite um, Spike Lee movie of all time. I watch it all every time it comes on. Um, mm-hmm. I I never really considered satire until this very moment. Um, I still don't, yeah, I still don't really consider that satire. But I, I, the presentation of Shadrach in 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 this trailer is scattered, messy, and goofy at times. So I don't know what I, I don't know what the story is, and that wasn't a good representation of whatever the narrative may actually be. And that's what a trailer should be. You should get excited about the story. And I don't even know what the story is. I'm just like, what are you, what are you saying? What are you talking about here? <laughs> I was just excited to see Kiana and Felicia Rashad and just other people. That's that's the only thing that I could actually gravitate toward. The other thing just was a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know some people saying that um, you know he did bamboozled, where he literally defined satire in the middle in the beginning of the film, and people just kind of did not get that that it was satire, mm-hmm. but. I don't get that same vibe from Chirac. Like, you have Angela Bassett, so you're thinking, oh, okay, this is one movie. But then you see Nick Cannon, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm confused. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's just really all kind of all over the place, much like she hates me. <laughs> just mm-hmm. so much going on, like, what are you saying? What's the point? What's, mm-hmm. what's going on? So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it all turns mm-hmm. out. Good mm-hmm. into. <laughs> Moving on to our film news, um, Idris Films Everywhere can be happy. Um, Luther will be returning for a one-night special on BBC America. I think it airs sometime in December. Um, okay. Let's see. It's a one-night event, and basically, you know, we get some answers to some questions that people have had for a while. It says um, he tries to leave his life um he tries to leave the life of a crime, the darker side behind, but to return to his normal life, but he's kind of drawn back in by this serial killer case. Um, I know I didn't watch Luther. I watched the first season, I think, when it was um, on, but I didn't, it kind of fell off. Um, did you all watch the show, or are you excited about the, the one-night special? Have you been waiting for this? Are you excited? Rebecca? Are we over right now? (laughs) Have we moved past Luther? I'm I'm here. I'll be present for Idris. So, um, you know, the the third season of Luther was was challenging for me because they killed off one of my favorite characters on the show, and I was just like, you know, you guys really need to stop hurting my feelings by killing off the people that I like. So, so that being said, I mean, the third season of Luther was okay to me. It was, I don't feel that, um, and I don't feel season two or three lived up to the first season. The first season is freaking perfection, okay? Um, The second and third one, second was okay, third one was eh. Um, This fourth season, I'm hoping that they will rectify, maybe they can fix the problems that the second and third one had. I don't know if they can do that in a three-hour special. I, I guess that's asking for too much. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see Idris. I think I think Luther is probably the best role he's had to date and really mm-hmm. changed the way people saw him, you know, before everybody just saw him in Stringer Bell, you know, and just thought he looked pretty. And then he was like, I'm going to show you some stuff. So, um, 
I I'm glad he's back in the role. I am salty with the fact that Ruth Wilson is not coming back. Luther and Alice, I ship for this couple so hard. It's not a joke. So I don't know. Well, at least from what I understand, I don't think Ruth Wilson is back for the season because she's busy with the affair. Um, and I can't stand her character on that show, but that's another story. What? <laughs> don't like that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I was hoping that, that Alice would be back. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. From what I've read, the villain in this uh, new season of Luther is going to be a ritualistic cannibal serial killer, which oh. is great. <laughs> I love when Luther goes up against the cuckoo crazies. Because um, I think in the first season, he, I think the first thing, I think that was the other reason why I love the first season so much is because he was dealing with a lot of insane same people, like every episode was like the baddie of the week, and I think one of my, the scariest one to me was the guy who was, remember the guy who was like killing people and drinking their blood? Uh, yeah. He was writing their like stuff all over the walls with blood he had saved from like 15 years ago? That episode was so yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, um, Idris is back. The only thing is um, I'm hoping that our interest in season four, and if it does well, I don't want this U.S. remake of Luther Resurrected. It needs to stay dead in the ground. I don't want to see a Luther remake. If it does not have Idris, I don't care who you cast. I'm not going to watch this show. I, I'm just not. <laughs> I hope I'm just dead. <laughs> I don't want to see that. Yeah, I I don't think – I think I – I think I did end up finishing the first season of Luther. I mm-hmm. definitely think that it was, it's still, I mean, I haven't seen a single episode of The Wire. It's on my list, has been on my list for several years. But um, I, from what I've seen, it is still the best. Like, nothing even comes close to his performance on Luther than I've ever seen of him on the big screen, like, by a landslide. So I'm I'm glad to see him kind of returning to that. Um, I thought that it was going to be more of a recurring series, like uh, or a recurring episodic series, like um, like how they brought back 24, which I actually really liked. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not, so I'm I'm surprised by that. A one night special sound. I don't know what sounds more like a movie. I don't know whatever. So it'll be interesting. I I definitely would watch this um we at one point rebecca have to talk about your feelings for ruth wilson on the affair <laughs> uh, but maybe not this episode <laughs> this really kind of hurt my feelings i just want to put that out there <laughs> so, so yeah that's that's my thoughts on Luther. all right um in other news bill duke is going to direct a biopic of um joe lewis who, as we all know, was a boxer. Um, I think he was the first to win the heavy, the first black boxer to win the um, heavyweight title, something like that. Um, so yes, I saw a documentary on him earlier this year that was really good. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they, what aspects of his life this film focuses on, and also the casting. Who's going to play Joe? Got to be a question that needs to be answered. Um, but I like the idea of Bill Duke directing. You know, he's great. Um, so what do you all think? I think it's like, great. Yeah, I like Bill Duke. Um, I'm 
I'm happy to see him kind of coming back to narrative. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 on board. Um, I know we do a lot of biopics here. I mean, in, uh, I think we do a lot of black male biopics. Um, I kind of off subject. You guys hear that the Miles Davis biopic was put on hold again, even after its premiere at New York Film Festival? What? Oh, it's on yeah. hold? Yeah. It wasn't picked up. This is not good. And then I think yeah. um I think we, um I I think either you or or Kim had tweeted out that article about the the, the Nina Simone movie. There could be it could potentially <laughs> be held up too. That's okay. not that I'm, I'm fine with that being held up. <laughs> right. That, that's cool. We're cool with that. <laughs> I would personally hold it back if they need me to. I will hold on to it and, so it cannot be seen by the masses. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. That's sad. And and do you guys remember there was the um the, the, the Marvin Gaye movie, right? Yeah, that's it. Was and they ran out of money. Like, they stopped mm-hmm. filming because they had no more money. And that is a shame. But then again, I saw the trailer or, you know, kind of like their a featurette. It didn't look good. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> yeah. So that that's very concerning to me, like, how we have – I mean, we, we are getting – some more black biopics. I know we have the Jesse Owens one that's coming out, which I'm very excited for. I love the, the actor Stephen James. I'm a huge fan of his. Um, but I mean, we don't really get that many black biopics. And then to hear, you know, that those three are stalled, um, I just hope that Bill Duke will not run into that same problem because that yeah. that would be, yeah. Yeah, it just came to mind. I was just like, oh, what is going on here? Mhm. So hopefully this one will get the backing that it needs to actually see the light of day in the theaters or on Netflix or something somewhere. Mm-hmm. Anyway. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick little break, and when we get back, we'll be talking The Walking Dead. Yay. writing blog posts about is he or isn't he when it comes to our beloved, my beloved, the love of my television life, Glenn, who seemingly has met his end on The Walking Dead. Um, When we last saw him, him and Nick, that jerk Nick, were surrounded by the zombies. Nick decides to put a gun to his head, and they both kind of fall over into the pit of zombies, and we see them getting attacked. So there have been several theories. Nick was on top of Glenn. Glenn didn't get eating. He's going to get. He's going to escape. Uh, Glenn's a goner. So where do you two fall on the, is Glenn dead? Do you think he's coming back? What do you think is his fate? 
Candace mm. will start with you. So, uh, I mean, he looks pretty dead to me, but I, I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate how people have the, all these conspiracy theories. I'm just like, what angle were they looking at? Because this man looked like he was good and dead. But um, it would be interesting. I don't know if anyone has thought of this, if we're talking about conspiracy theories. It would be interesting to see if he survives as a zombie. Yeah. Now that would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, he the, the idea of him being alive has never crossed my mind. I'm like, that looks very <laughs> dead. That, that did not look like it worked out for him at all. And I was, like, real mad about Nick. I was like, Nick, you know, who the hell is Nick? I was real mad about him. I said, trust none of those new pe- those newbies. They don't know. They don't know it. They're not real. They're not true apocalypse bugs like all like Rick and them. And so I was like, don't trust any of them. They're not, they're not right in the head. And this man, he was going through with that whole episode. He should have never hung out with him that whole episode. But he finally just took his own life. And Glenn, being Glenn, was actually trying to stop his fall and ended up falling with him. Ugh, what a mess. But um, <laughs> it was just such a mess. But um, yeah, uh, yeah. I I I don't think I, I think I think he's gone, girls. I think he's gone. <laughs> I think he's gone. <laughs> All right, Rebecca. What do you think? Is he or isn't he? <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about this show because <laughs> in the first place. Nobody saw this coming. Okay, there were obviously they they must have kept this under wraps. I have personally watched the scene with um, Glenn's supposed demise, and I've stopped it, froze it, rewound it, <laughs> and I am stand by the theory that that is not Glenn's gut that they are eating. That's that dude on top of him. And I was like, head compared to his chest. Look at the ratio. And my boyfriend oh, is like, you, just, you got too much time on your hands. You need to let this go. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's jealous because he knows I love Glenn so much. But I, I'm just holding on to the theory that Glenn is not dead. That is my thing. What is very problematic to me is the fact that when they did the Talking Dead, who, by the way, Yvette Nicole Brown is excellent. She is one of, she's like yeah. the number one super fan, and she has like yeah. notebooks, whatever. And <laughs> mm-hmm. she, um, during the show, notice they never said that Glenn was dead. They just said Glenn's fate. And then Scott Gimple, who is one of the executive producers of the show, you know, gave us that BS letter. I think the letter from Scott Gimple made me more upset than the episode, right? Because <laughs> he was like, um, you're going to see Glenn in some sort of shape, form, or whatever. And I'm like, no, I am not here for zombie Glenn. If he's dead, let him be there. I, I'm not going to, like, I just can't. I'm not going to sit there and have some zombified version of Steven Yoon on my screen. I'm just not going to that. And I'm really afraid that they kind of put themselves in a box right now, right, because if they do kill Glenn off, fans are going to be pissed. If they bring Glenn back in, like, some soap opera-ish, like, oh, he's not really dead, fans are going to be mad. So whatever they do, people are going to be pissed. So I'm like, you guys got to pick a side, you know, and and make it happen. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> Me personally, I prefer to have Steven Yoon back. I think he is so cute, and I just feel mm-hmm. like Mad Kids do so much. I don't. I just can't see her grieving through that. That would just. The only other thing that I could accept with Scott Gimple's letter, where he said that Glenn will come back in some form, that Maggie would be pregnant. Like, if that's what you mean, okay. Oh, yeah, I'll be Glenn. I don't want to see that. No more babies on the show. I was going to say, no I more want Glenn to be alive, but I am not interested in Maggie. I don't care about her mourning or any of that. I don't care about her baby. It is you know she's going to have I a dramatic morning. She's <laughs> 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 like, are you serious? Yes, but I heard that if it was actually Glenn that was being eaten by the zombies, then he wouldn't be able to scream because you can't scream while your guts are being ripped out. And I was like, ah, good point. So maybe he's alive. And then someone else was like, so maybe there's like a manhole under that dumpster thing. I was like, okay, so he lifts the dumpster and rolls under there. That's probably not the case. I've also seen that maybe Nicholas is hallucinating and that he doesn't shoot himself, they don't fall. And so it's like, hey, it was a dream. Nobody's dead. Yay. Wow. Um, <laughs> shower, <laughs> Okay, fine. It was all a dream. No, let's not do that. <laughs> and then the other one is like, so he is, okay, they did fall. Nick is being eaten. But remember, like, back in the day, if you didn't want the, the walkers to eat you, you just, like, covered yourself in, Walker blood, and then you kind of like blend it mm-hmm. in with them. So maybe mm-hmm. you know we have Nick all slack out over him, so they just stop eating. They're like, "Oh, you're a walker too. I can't eat you," and so he's able to escape somehow. I don't know if any of these are right. I don't. I just don't wow. want Glenn to be gone. I feel like people give a lot of thought. A lot. This sounds like a lot of thought. Desperation, guys. It sounds like <laughs> <Right>. desperation. <laughs> <laughs> what is we're in the bargaining stage of grief like god if you let him be alive I'll watch all of my shows and I'll keep my DVR at less than 50% I promise god just bring him back yeah it's, it's a lot I was like I like kind of shut down when Glenn you know when it all happened because that was my one negotiable like Glenn if Glenn goes I'm out but of course I had to watch the next week to see if he was still gone um, so, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to, once I get, like, a final answer, how I'm going to react to this. I'm just still in shock. Well, I mean, what's interesting um, is that, one, if you go to Stephen Yoon's uh, Twitter page, his last tweet was the day that that episode aired. He has not tweeted in the last two weeks. I don't have to and then last Sunday when they aired the, the Walking Dead, his name was removed from the opening credits. And then I heard mm-hmm. this week that um, the Walking Dead, if you go to his IMDb page, um, that it says, you know, the ending date of the Walking Dead is like 2015. I think like he's been removed from like the future episodes mm-hmm. of the Walking Dead. So, and again, that still doesn't really say anything because we know who manages the IMDb pages. Stephen Young has a publicist. I mean, if this is part of their we're trying to keep people secret. I don't know. I, I just want Steven Yun back. If he's not coming back, the only way that you can comfort me with killing Glenn, okay, is if you tell me that I will see Steven Yun in Iron Fist, because I understand Iron Fist, um, Netflix is, you know, they have the Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist is also part of that group. Um, so you guys got to give me something. If you're going to take Steven Yun away from me, then you got to resurrect him in a leading role somewhere else. Other than that, 
I'm not watching this show. Like I'm I'm Oops. just so upset right now. <laughs> I can't do <laughs> Yeah, it's like and then we go through all that and then last week we get this ninety minute episode and it's just no Glenn, no mention of Glenn, nothing none of that situation is even addressed. Yeah. So I think that kinda of just adds to the the frustration that's going on right now with the with the fans here. So yeah. Yeah. I, know, I guess can we talk but, about that episode for a second? We can yeah, talk about please. that episode. Because <laughs> um, it was interesting. So I got a lot of, like, Kill Bill moments in that. So you remember when she was, like, training in um, uh, Japan, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, like, the, you know, the whole, you know, the some martial artist is training the, the young protege. And I got I got a lot of those vibes um, from that last episode. Also, question why it was it felt like a ninety minute episode. It wasn't a ninety minute episode that felt like a thirty minute episode. It felt like I felt all of those ninety minutes. Although there was, there was a, I mean, I think because I'm used to seeing so many different things, so many different characters, and so many different um, um, storylines intertwined. This was one storyline, one character essentially. I mean, there was one character and his 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 martial artist, really, his um his teacher. Um, it was very interesting to see because I I what was interesting about that episode was that we get this full fuller story about Morgan that I did not get previously. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was good. Um, but it was definitely one of those episodes that was in a previous season where all the characters had basically um, had their, like, one-off episodes. Like, like um, Carol and the rest of them all had, like, these, these one-on-one episodes where it was just them talking about their hopes and dreams and fears and stuff like that. Um, Daryl had a really great episode. I still, that's still one of my favorite episodes with him and Old Girl who died. Oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that was that's still one of my favorite episodes. But um, mm-hmm. this one, this one was interesting too. It just he Morgan is a, a flawed character who's dealing with a lot of shit, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and now I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit more of a perspective of of who he is and how he's come to where he's come. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. We'll 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 see. I was I was divided on the, on this particular episode, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I I'll agree with you, Candace, that that episode did not need to be ninety minutes. Although I enjoyed it very much, mm-hmm. but I was like, yeah, you guys could have wrapped it up at like an hour and five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I think the episode was effective because um, I know that the actor uh, Lenny. James was mm-hmm. on Talking Dead, and he said that what they did is they filmed all the other episodes, and then they filmed that ap- episode afterwards. So I think there was probably some decision making, um, you know, with the higher up. So this was, I, I think it's sort of like a one off episode, which will tie into the other ones. Um, but I think the reason why I was so intrigued by that episode is the fact that while we are all fans of The Walking Dead, right, and we all have, you know, Team Rick or Team Michonne or Team Glenn or Team Maggie, or there, a lot of people are Team Carol. I love Carol, um, mm-hmm. especially with that, that uh, Alexandria attack episode. Yeah. What that episode really did and really made me check myself was that as much as we love these characters and their badassery, these are all mentally ill people. All of them are suffering from 
on some mm-hmm. level. And the thing is, when you watch the attack on Alexandria, right, like I specifically remember there were conversations after that episode on the Alexandria attack where they basically said that Morgan was a wuss, he was a pussy, he was this, he was that, and Carol was the real hero of the show. And I think that episode, the episode we saw last week, was really to give context to Morgan's actions, right, why he's such a pacifist, and also to show the reality of mental illness. Like, here's the thing. When you live in a post-apocalyptic world like that, you're not dealing in regular (laughs) – it's a different reality, right? The reality that you and I and whatever, you know, that we live in is much different when you don't know where your food supply is, when you're fighting off walkers. And so, in a way, they have to be the way they are. But that episode did give some clarity into the fact that these people are cuckoo. <laughs> Rick is crazy in his own way. Maggie's crazy in her own way. Carol is definitely crazy in her own way. You know what I mean? And I love the exchange between Morgan and oh, I forget the name of the character. Everybody calls him the cheese man. But I really liked mm-hmm. the thing I liked about the episode was the commentary about mental illness and the criminal system, right? How we tend to criminalize people who suffer from some sort of mental illness. And this man had compassion for Morgan. He was like, I see you. I see what you're going through. I understand what you're going through, and I want to help you, right? Like, he could have easily killed Morgan. and be like, you, you know, you came on my property or whatever. But it was really about helping Morgan work out his demons and work out um whatever issues he had, because the last time we saw Morgan before he came back, he had all these traps. Rick and Michonne were just like, okay, this dude is just full of cray-cray. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> and so I appreciate that The Walking Dead did not cheat and just show us this, like, new and improved Morgan. They actually showed us the steps that he took for him to be the person that he is. You know, so, yeah, I I just thought that that was a very intriguing episode. Again, didn't need to be 90 minutes, but I thought it was a very great. And, and the performance between Lenny James and the actor who played, yeah. um, my God, like, if, if they don't get Emmy nominations, then they're bullshitting because Lenny James is just <laughs> so fantastic. I think I love Andrew Lincoln, but anybody who watches that, like, that was just, like, that was leading man you know what I mean? I I just thought that was an amazing episode. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It was very important because, you know, we know what everyone else has been doing in the meantime. You know, we've seen their journey from here to there to Alexandria, and we don't really, we didn't really know what he was doing all of that time, so it was good. But, again, it, the 90 minutes, it felt like, 90, it was like real time and 90 minutes of it, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a good it was an important episode. So mm-hmm. can't and wait I, to see what I happens do, tonight. Yeah, sorry, quickly. I just to piggyback off of what Rebecca was talking about. I do think that the entire series has been really great at um, demonstrating um, PTSD. I mean, they're not these people aren't aren't like waking up every day to thrive. They're waking up just to live another day. Like they're, they're they're like, their bars have been so lowered. (laughs) Like they're not, they, they have all but given up hope. They're just literally waking up every day just to survive the day. And Mm -hmm. with the full understanding that they might not survive. And that is a really real um, and really sad way to live, 
you know, uh-huh. thinking every day is really going to be your last. You can't live life to the fullest. You're living life just you're you're just you're just surviving barely, um, and and that's what the show has been constructed on this 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 idea of just you know PTSD and just not and and, and hopelessness and really how how you are prior to the apocalypse is how is completely different to how they are now. It's affecting them all differently. Um, and that's what I love about the show, that it's exploring all of those those possibilities of the psyche, past, mm-hmm. post-trauma. Right, definitely. And despite, you know, my personal feelings about wanting Glenn to be alive, it's just proof that, you know, in this zombie world, no one is, you know, legitimately safe. Like at any moment, mm-hmm. regardless of how much you care or love this character, the zombies are going to wind out. <laughs> you know, you mm-hmm. could get got quickly, and, you know, just that quickly it can all turn south for any one of these characters. And so that kind of, you know, keeps it real with you and, you know, you kind of feel the, the the levity of the situations they are dealing with. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the glimless list. <laughs> Sorry, that mm-hmm. list. Yeah. So, anywho, we're going to take one more quick break, and then we're going to wrap up with our last session um, about the LGBT, LGBT report from GLAD. Impossible by again Lion Babe. Okay, so for our last segment, we are talking about the LGBT TV report that GLAD released um, this week. So basically, they surveyed all of the shows on television this season, and also this year for the first time, they included shows that are streaming. So they included the shows on Netflix, on Amazon Prime, and Hulu. And so basically out of all the characters on television, they, um, you know, calculated that only 4% of these characters are LGBT characters. And they also broke it down by race and by network. And basically, you know, we have made a lot of strides in television, definitely. And I think with the streaming, we've seen a lot more. But we still have a long way to go. Um, We looked at transgender characters on television, And I think total there are like 271 LGBT characters, and only seven of these were transgender, Um, six trans men, I mean six trans women and one trans man. Um, Let's see. On broadcast television, that that number was zero. Um, The three Mm. trans, there were three trans characters on cable television and four on the streaming side. And let's see, with the bisexuals on television, I think 
Um, there were like 40, I think 76 characters out of that. Um, mm-hmm. They highlighted, you know, characters like Callie on Grey's Anatomy and Brenna on Chasing Life as being positive represent- representatives of bisexual characters. Um, let's see. As far as trans, you know, they said that the the biggest thing is not to have these stereotypes when you do have the characters. And it's quite interesting because they pointed out one of the shows that I watch, um, Confession, I watch Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> and mm-hmm. this season they were finally revealed who A was, and all this time we thought, well, we didn't know who it was, and then we found out it was Charles. And then later we find out that Charles has transitioned to Charlotte, and it's a character, Cece, that we met like three seasons ago. But, you know, so they have this trans character, which on one side I thought was a very positive thing, but it ends up being a serial killer who's tried to kill themselves and their entire family. Mm. So, you know, they kind of talked about the importance of, you know, not having these stereotypical portrayals when you do include LGBT characters um, in the show. So did you all get a chance to look over it? What kind of stood out for you as, you know, from the information? Rebecca, we'll start with you. Um. Yeah, I um, I mean the numbers. I mean, there's a little bit of progress. There, there could be more. Um, I do notice. I, I will say the one uh, out of Shonda Rhimes with TGIT every Thursday for between eight and eleven, you are sure to see um, someone or characters of the LGBT community, which I love. Like for instance, Grace Anatomy has three actresses playing lesbian or bisexual characters, which is pretty much unheard of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then for Scandal with, with Cyrus and his husband, and then for How to Get Away with Murder, um, you have, um, oh gosh, I forgot the name of the mate, the character. He's part of the Keating Five. Um, right. Yeah, and yep. so he's, <laughs> yeah, he's gay. And his his boyfriend, Oliver, Conrad Rickamora is just the most adorable thing ever. And speaking of characters that could potentially be killed off, if you saw uh, How to Get Away with Murder, it kind of ended with a cliffhanger where Oliver is basically in jeopardy. And I just love the fact that there is such an outpouring of fan outrage that they do not want Oliver to die, right? And that just really tells me how far we have come as far as as TV watchers where we care about characters and where, you know, their their um, sexual orientation is part of who they are, but it does, it, he can't, you know, Oliver is not just the gay character. You know what I mean? He's, right. he's the love mm-hmm. interest. He's also the computer hacker. And he's, if you think about it, he's the most decent person out of that whole show, <laughs> right? He actually is a good person. So I really like the fact that we can root for these characters, right? And so um, that being said, we still need to work on the fact that as far as trans characters, we are still stuck in this box of, you know, hiring uh, cisgender heterosexual men to play trans women. This is still a battle that we're fighting, and I don't understand why in 2015 we're still going through this crap. And I understand the... um, you know, the the argument that an actor should be able to play whoever they want. This is true, but when you are playing a trans character who is trans people by nature are just underrepresented on television, it does mean something when you do cast a trans person to play a trans character. Um, again, with How to, how to get, get Away with Murder, I think it was last week's episode, um, Annalise had a former colleague of hers who is a trans woman who was played by a trans actor. 
actress Alexandra Billings. That was fantastic. I love the fact that Peyton O'Walk made that decision. He was like, yes, we were going to do this storyline, and I was committed that if we were going to tell this story authentically, that I wanted a trans actress to tell this story. So these sort of things matter to me. Um, I don't know. I, I think um, I don't think we got a chance to talk about this, but just to show you that Hollywood still needs some work. Um, last week they announced that Michelle Rodriguez this is on the big side, on the big screen side, of course. But there is a movie that is supposed to be coming out called Tomboy um, that's mm-hmm. going to star Michelle Rodriguez and Sigourney Weaver, where Michelle Rodriguez. Um, the character, the main character, it starts out as a man, and then he crosses some people, and so to get revenge on him, they kidnap him, and they, um, Sigourney Weaver, who is a surgeon, turns him into a woman, who is going mm-hmm. to be played by Michelle Rodriguez. I don't even have enough time to tell you how much fuckery is involved in that. That is so offensive and so horrible. I really don't have words for that. I was just like, really? Like, this is really the story that you guys want to tell? That somebody is, I mean, I guess that's every guy's nightmare, right? Ooh, you get your penis cut off. Like, I was just like, this is not, these are not the kind of stories that we need to be telling, particularly because trans people are, um, you know, underrepresented. You're going to tell me you couldn't find Laverne Cox and find, instead of making a movie like this, you can just cast a trans, act- a trans actress and just make her an action star? You know what I mean? Like that—that that to me would have been preferable. Like, why do you? Why does it, she have to be forcibly turned into a woman? Like, that's just sick to me. I, I don't. I, I just was not with that, and will not be watching that movie. The premise, yeah, of that, regardless of sexual identity, is still stupid. <laughs> like, I just want to be clear on that. Like, that is how they're going to sell that that story. That's stupid. Yeah, actually. So. Yeah. That's my that's my first problem with it. Is mm-hmm. that it's not even of quality. Yeah. Right. And it's crazy because you have to think about how many people like that script had to go through to actually get made into a movie and all those people thought, Yeah, this is a great idea. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes you question exactly. everything about, you know, this industry. That's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um mm-hmm. Candace, what did you take away from the report? It was interesting. I honestly wasn't expecting the racial back, um, the way the racial breakdown, which is always interesting. I think when we, um, off or I think often, and I think this is kind of changing, but I think when TV or the big screen, but primarily TV is a lot more progressive when they um, feature LGBTQ characters. It's they're usually always white. And so I was looking at the racial background of the LGBTQ characters um, because until very recently, it was just if you're ever going to have an LGBTQ character, it's always a white person, always. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad that um, – I'm going to butcher her name. You know, the woman, the trans actress from um, <sighs> Sense8. Sense Mm-hmm. Oh, Jamie Clayton. Jamie Clayton. Yes. Who's Fantastic. really good on that show, and I'm glad that they 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 um, mentioned her. Um, and that show is just so so good. The show is like the more I think about that show, the more I love it. Um, mm-hmm. It's not perfect, but I I love what it's trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I'm glad that that speaks is there. It, you know, it's interesting because when, when I was looking over this report, I was just like, wow, there's a lot more um, LGBTQ characters than I actually realized on TV. Because um, I'm looking at it, I was just like, oh, yeah, I know this person and that person. And it's interesting, the um, the LGBT um, character on one of the LGBT characters on um, on Shameless, is also, which I have a problem with this storyline, but yes, he is suffering from mental illness. Um, I just have a problem with how it was dealt with on the show because he, it just seemed to kind of just come up. It was, it was almost like a tacked on storyline, and I'm just like, okay, so today he's suffering from mental illness, and none of the previous seasons he has never, like, it just seemed like they were just searching for something to give this character, and they just decided to give him that. Um, mm-hmm. It was just weird, but um, so I'm always thinking when we talk about this um, this idea of political correctness and and going back to my earlier statement, it's not just about having LGBTQ characters on on TV. It's it's what is the the depth of what they're doing? What what are these actors having? What, what kind of narratives are they working with? What kind of characters are they working with? Are they working with the stereotypes? Are they working with? Are they are they just like throwaway characters? Are they peripheral characters? Do they have any lines? Those are the things that I'm thinking of. And also, um, same thing when it comes to non LGBT characters um, that are minorities. You know, it's not just for me. It's not just about having a minority character. It's also about having. Um, a minority character that is three-dimensional. So that's what I'm constantly looking at. It's, just, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not about quantity, although quantity mm-hmm. is great, but mm-hmm. it's like, do I care about any of these characters? And if I don't care about them, then what was the point, you know? Um, yeah. So that's that's what I'm constantly looking at. And it looks like, you know, and I was looking a lot at this reporter, it's like, wow, these are a, lot, a lot of these are really great characters, like full characters. So mm-hmm. I think we are living in a time when we are moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. So I just hope we see more. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking about that, I was um, I am a huge fan of the Nick on Cinemax, and mm-hmm. um, one of the, in the first season, one of the main characters is played by always fantastic Andre Holland. He plays Algernon Edwards, who is the first black doctor who works at the fictional hospital, the Knickerbocker Hospital, and I admit, when I first approached the show, I was very, very uh, cynical, right, because when you saw the, you know, the advertising for the Nick, he's like the only black person in there, so I was like, oh, Lord, I hope he's not going to be the token black person, and I was just, it was just amazing to see how they treated the character, that he wasn't just a token. I mean, of course, at that time, at the the show is in 1900, right? So you have this black man who was educated overseas in Paris and comes over here, you know, to practice medicine, and then he's faced with all these obstacles and all of these um, prejudices and, and bigotry that he didn't suffer over in Europe. You know what I mean? So the first was just really a revelation to see how he was able to overcome that, you know what I mean, and still retain his, his retain who he was as a person. And what's even more exciting in this season of The Nick, um, it's back for the second season, is that not only is he back, what I really appreciate about the show is that now they've expanded his world. There's more brown people on The Nick. And I was like, yes! Mm-hmm. So now he has a wife. <laughs> so now mm-hmm. he has a wife. 
And what's so fantastic about Algernon's wife is that she's this very beautiful, cultured black woman from London, right, very posh British woman um, who's a performer. Her name is Opal, and she's just this very – she's like a firecracker. You know what I mean? She's coming to America, and she's like, oh, you guys think you're progressive? Whatever. You know what I mean? Like she's this, 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 this ball of energy and is just very secure in who she is and – you know, I was watching this, and I'm like, okay, so you're telling me that we have a black British woman on a period drama in 1901, but yet suffragette couldn't even be bothered to find the black woman to put in their movie. Like, that's some bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Like, that just tells me, I mean, the Nick does fantastic research on their show, but it just shows you that filmmakers, when you decide to show, a, a, you know, any time you deal with period dramas, you do have to be careful. And to just, you know, the filmmakers that, you know, suffragette were just like, oh, yeah, we, you know, we looked at the pictures and we didn't see any women of color. So, oh, well, no, and nobody, <laughs> you know, whereas you have this show on Cinemax that is clearly showing you that, yes, there were black British women that existed in 1900. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also liked that it kind of broke it down in terms of, um, characters with disabilities, and, you know, that includes mm-hmm. physical disabilities and, um, you know, non-apparent disabilities such as illnesses. Um, one of the shows on ABC Family, Switched to Birth, has a Latina who's deaf and a lesbian. You know, that's something that you would never see on, on well, you haven't seen oh. on television, but, you know, it doesn't get so much more quote-unquote other than that. And, you know, all of her storylines have been, you know, not really focused on the fact that she's a lesbian or the fact that she is Latino or the fact that she's deaf. She's just one of the characters on the show, you know. And so I think, like you said, it's good to have these characters, but it's much more important to make them well-rounded characters with stories that, you know, just mm-hmm. reflect their humanness as opposed to, you know, whatever, quote-unquote, makes them other. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how, you know, this um, – continues from year to year, do the, the numbers increase? Because I think they talked about, you know, at one point in the 90s, there were quite a few black LGBT characters on television, and then there was this huge dip until, you know, now the empire effect where everything black is cool again on television. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if it's sustained throughout and, you know, if we can continue to see the strides that we have seen recently. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right, unless you all have anything else, that is our show for today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks with our Cinema Noir chat on Twitter. Yes, thank you. Have a great week. Bye, everyone. Bye.